Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on Sport 2 with me, Neil Althorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And also, as always, we've got plenty to get through. Just over, or just under six months to go until the Ashes, uh, we'll hear from Australia opener David Warner on his future and also uh, look at our likely starting eleven for the first test at Lords in June. Former South African spinner Paul Harris joins us to reflect on a heavy series defeat for the Proteas in Australia as Dean Elgar calls on uh, the nation to play more Test cricket in the future. Mohamed Isam from ESPN Crick Info will join us to look back at a chaotic week in Bangladesh cricket and also look ahead to uh, England's first tour of the country in six years in March. And we'll end the show by discussing a very interesting, controversial catch in the Big Bash by Michael Nisa and also take a look at some of the other big stories making the headlines. So as always, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Uh, well, um, lots to look forward to in the next hour. Lots to look forward to in 2023 with an Ashes, a 50-over World Cup, India against Australia, the Women's T20 World Cup, and, of course, 52 more episodes of the Cricket Collective. Now, Harmi, it's, uh, there's an awful lot going on. I, I have a script, beautifully prepared as always, by our producer, Scott Taylor, but what's on your mind? At the moment. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, manners and to world. Wow. I dashes. Especially where, you know, the, the minute I'm sitting freezing cold in the northeast of England, you're sitting beautifully in Sydney or Melbourne or, or Queensland, wherever you are, watching the debacle of South African cricket get demolished by Australia. And you look at the way these two sides are playing at the minute, I want that happen tomorrow. I really do. I would love the Ashes to be happening tomorrow because... I think both sides are, are ready for it. I think England are, are definitely ready for Australia coming. Where you fit Johnny Bairstow in, I'm not so sure. You just, you know, at the minute, uh, where you fit Joffrey Archer in, is he going to be fit? There'd be questions that, from a selection panel point of view and getting him to that point, 
for uh, is mouth watering. But I think what also is mouth watering is where both Australia and England are, are, are playing their series in their cricket at the minute. That the Ashes is the one that sticks out. Yes, fifty over World Cup in England, in India, where we are world champions. But I think you know, and we've got some great cricket and talks about too. Yeah, you know, we go to South Africa. We've got some fantastic cricket coming up um, that we're going to be hugely part of. But the one cricket that we won't have commentary on. But I think it's going to be a humdinger, and I can't wait for the Ashes, mate. Okay, um, one man that was, well, a lot of speculation about whether he'd be involved, particularly after his performance against Stuart Broad in particular in the last Ashes on English soil, is David Warner. This is what he had to say about the India tour coming up and the Ashes uh, hot on the heels of that. The extra motivation for me is winning in India and, and completely winning a series in, in England. I've been told by the coach and, and the selectors that would like me to, to be there. You know, obviously... There was a lot of stuff before this series um, going on through my mind. Um, was there doubts here? Of course, gonna, there was doubts in my mind. But for me, it was about just going out there and, and, and knowing that I've still got that hunger and determination. Because every time I rock up a training, I've got it. And people keep telling me, you know when it's time. And I haven't really felt that um, at all yet. So I'm still enjoying it. I still know what energy I can bring to the team. I think once I start losing that spark and energy around training and you know, taking the mickey out of people, playing some jokes here and there and pranks. Um, I think that's when I'll probably know it's time. Well, David Warner admitting that he did have doubts, um, Harmy, but um, the, the 200 against uh, South Africa at the MCG obviously put those doubts to rest. And yeah, he was, he did look to be very much back to his best. He did. And I would imagine there's quite a few parties happy on, on that. I think, I don't think England will be too disappointed if David Warner comes. Um, because he has been in, he has been in a, in a rough trot. You know, we can't sugarcoat it. Yes, he's thirty-seven-year-old. He's a champion player. He's been a fantastic player, and he's had his struggles in England. He's also had success in England. So, I think it, you know, the way he's been playing Test match cricket up until that two hundred, would encourage England to say, right, we'd be more than happy if, if David Waller comes over to England. But on the flip side. You look at David Warner, he's, he's gone through a barren patch and top-class cricketers, world-class cricketers who who do bounce back, bounce back with a bang. He's done that and he'd be thinking, right, I've done it against not a, a sort of hot-gun attack either. He's done it against a proper bowling attack. So he might be thinking, right, this could, this Ashes could be just the right thing for me. I'm going to go into it off the back of a double hundred, runs under my belt. I'm going to belt England. So I, I think I've, I'd be... I'd be more than happy if I was England bowlers to see Warner come out first because I think in England with a moving ball, I think England are encouraged with, especially with the the openers. Even though Kawaja's batted really well for Australia in 2022, and we've all had him in our in our side for the you know the, the Test team of the year, I don't think England opening bowling partnership will be too disappointed if they get a moving ball, Duke ball in conditions. Kawaja with Kawaja and Warner uh, coming out of them first. Okay, um, Warner also spoke about um, the, the toll of all the off-field issues that had taken on, on his mental well-being, um, his uh, fight to have his leadership, lifelong leadership ban overturned. Um, and um, I have to say that being here in Australia, I, I, don't, I don't have an accurate measurement um, tool, but I have detected that there is not quite as much public sympathy as you might have thought um, for, for David Warner. Anyway... The, Australia, I have to say, going into the third test match against South Africa, having won the series, 
have got their eye very much on the India series. That first test in Nagpur is just over a month away. So that's the sole focus at the moment. However, the ashes are never far from their minds, as we know. Um, Australia have said when they have been lured into talking about the ashes that they will come hard. What do you think that the Australian bowlers might be able to do uh, to counter New England uh, that the likes of Trent Bolt, Tim Southey, Jasper Bumrah, Mohamed Shami, Kahisa Rabada and Anrich Norkia couldn't do? Didn't be themselves. They're, they're fantastic bowlers, these Australians. And I, I look at, I don't want to clear down what England's, what England's done, the way they've played. They were fantastic. And yeah, quite a few pundits threw out them. Well, they'll be different against Rabada, Nakia, um, and Giri. It'd be different against top class spin when they play that one off test match against England uh, against India. It'll be different against Pakistan in Pakistan because England won't be able to do what they did. And they did all that. I'm not saying it's gonna be different because Australian bowling attack is far superior, but it's the ashes. There's a hell of a lot more pressure on it. It's a completely different game. It is a completely different game. I've sat many, many times in so many team meetings. Just play the game, don't play the man. Play the ball, don't play the situation. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. It's not played by robots. It is the ashes. There's only one man I've ever played with who, from an England side who's put that um, all out of his head, and that was that was a man who had no connection with England until he was about 23-year-old, So, and that was Kevin Peterson. So it is just a different, it's a different contest. It's a different game. The one good thing about England side is there's a couple of them with no baggage. Um, there's a few of them who have been through it before who understand it. Still, I think this is a, a step up, even though Rabada, Nagidi, and Nokia are top, top bowlers. Yeah, I looked at Saudi. He's getting on a bit. Bolt didn't really have any interest in playing Test match cricket. It will be a different a different animal altogether playing against Australia. Their bowling attack, their situation, their ashes. Um, but one, I think England will will rise too. And at this minute in time, I still think England, in English conditions, I think they're marginally favourites. Okay, final point, and just make it a quick one. I think that England being at home, um, we talk about home advantage, obviously, but I think it's the uh, rotation of players, um, and not rotation, rest and rotation. I think just rotation because they'll be knackered. A lot of the England players are going to go to the IPL as well. They've had a full, full, will have had a full winter. Then it's the IPL, then it's straight into the ashes. Australia have had a full summer at home, will have done. And then they uh, go to a, on a four-test tour of India, then the IPL, then straight into the ashes. Someone like Cameron Green, you know, he hasn't toured very much. Um, he's still still young. I just wonder what state he's going to be in come June in that first Ashes test match. So the wonderful Scott Taylor asked us to to pick our starting eleven. I narrowed mine down to about 19. So I've only <laughs> I couldn't do it. So I've just got a couple of questions for you. Who's going to be Zach Crawley's opening partner? Uh, what's going to happen with the Bearstow Brook conundrum? Uh, will Pope once again be asked to keep wicket in order to make space for someone else? And poor old Ben folks misses out. And then, yeah, I mean, Anderson Broad, Robinson Archer, Matty Potts, Chris Wokes, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I think the bone attack for me is the is the one where I think the Ashes gets won because I think if they get the, the balance to decide where Ben Stokes in it, there's two... Two key conundrums here for two key, key components here on both sides, and it's to both the captains. And how if the balance of the side with a captain for Ben Stokes, I think, is a lot easier 
the balance of the side for the captain Pat Cummins because five games in six, six just under six weeks, I think that's a lot asking from a fast bowler's point of view, out and out fast bowler's point of view to go and win the Ashes. So the rotation policy will have to be spot on. I think England, if they've got everybody fit and a pool of bowlers, I think they've got I think they've got the right balance to pick the right bowlers for the right right situation. We are going to edge Baston, uh, might swing that a little bit more. Yeah, using the slope at Lords. Yeah, the likes of Wood and Archer, making sure they're fully fit and primed to go. Don't rule Chris Wokes out of the equation because I still think he's got a part to play. The batting a year ago, I would I would honestly I headbutted the wall for saying this. But the way this team is going and the way this team's picked and the way this team's mentality is, Johnny Vestal might have to open a band. And I never thought I'd ever say that for the simple fact. Whenever anybody said to me, oh, why doesn't Johnny just open a bat and like he does in one-day cricket and goes out and fires? And I'm like, no, no, you, that, that, it, we don't play the game like that. Test match cricket's not played like that. You absorb the game at the start, you give yourself the best start, chance of a start, get the bowlers into their second and third spell, and then Johnny and Ben and... You know, the, the lower middle order will come out and, and, and really ram home advantage by doing that. They don't do that anymore. They go ball one. They go in ball one. So we, you might have to, we might, we might see Zach Crowley go out to bat with, with Johnny Besto. Johnny Besto might end up, I don't think his body will probably let him keep wicket anymore because of what he's just been through. Will the Pope? I can't see that happening, to be honest. Um, even though that makes it easier to fit Besto in. But he might just have, he might come to the crunch that Besto goes in first with Crawley. But there's a big but here. Ben Duckett might say, I've got something to say about that. Because if he goes and gets 100 in New Zealand, all of a sudden he's in pole position to open a baton. And where then Besto fits in, that is a, a, a great selection dynamic to have. But one, they're going to have to find a solution for. Because I still think Johnny Besto is key for England to win the Ashes. Mouth-watering prospect. Sometime um, as we get deeper into the new year, I'll ask you what you think Johnny Bairstow might think about opening the batting. Anyway, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. I've promised at the top of the show. I'm delighted that uh, we're joined by former South African spinner Paul Harris, who was part of a historic South African team which became the first to win a Test series in Australia on Australian soil in 2008 after 98 years of trying. And uh, it led, of course, to South Africa winning the next two series as well in 2012 and 2016. So uh, along with many South African cricket supporters, I'm no doubt that uh, Paul will be disappointed to have seen not just the defeat, but the nature of, of the, the, uh, the defeat. I'm assuming, Harrow, that if you did start to stay up during the night, you made the decision to go to bed and not put yourself through. Uh, it has been very disappointing. What have you made of it? Sure, I didn't watch much of it live, to be honest with you. I watched the lowlights. It's horrid lowlights. Caught up on it when I got back here in, in the bush. But uh, it's not great, but it's not surprising either. I think it's been a long time coming. Um, and also the sort of fruits of uh, the efforts that have been put in at first loss we get uh, throughout the last sort of call it seven to ten years. I think we're reaping the rewards. I don't think our first loss we get very good. I know it's, 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 it's not great at all. It's been a steady decline in first loss we get in South Africa. Um, and actually, quite the contrary to other uh, countries. I know, I know for a fact in the UK that the first three is still pretty strong, especially first division. I know there's been some cries for let's count the genes. 
and so I managed to keep the the the, the, the first Australia really really strong. Whereas South Africa, unfortunately, um, has not done that. Whether the because the emphasis is more on short provision of the game, who knows? Um, but certainly, um, our first house cricket is, is is not very good at the moment. Yeah, Paul, the the, the the emotion and the emotion that the, the anger that is being thrown towards the South African cricket team from an outside looks to me that I mean, you want to play Test cricket. That people want to play Test cricket. Test cricket is still the pinnacle. It is still the most important thing. And when you look at how many test matches South Africa have got in the next five years, then you're, you're scratching your head to go, well, there's a reason why you haven't got as many test matches because your board doesn't think you need test matches. But the anger and the emotion of going to Australia and not winning tells me that test match cricket is still alive and everybody still wants to be involved in it. I think you've got to separate it, right? You've got to separate the players to the administrators at the moment. I think we can, you know, we can talk for hours around how bad the South African administrations, you know, the last 10 years, and continues to be. Um, I know they are trying to juggle the commercial side of the game along with the traditional side of the game. Um, South Africa financially have put themselves into a bit of strife the last uh, sort of few years. Uh, and T20 cricket is the main way to increase revenue. So you, you can't ignore that fact, and you're going to have to uh, play a fair amount of it. But to your point, the players want to play chess cricket. Chess cricket is the pinnacle of the game. I think that Savica have lost a lot of their clout with the ICC when it comes to a lot of the meetings. Um, but having said that, I don't think they gun themselves in favour. So I think you spot on. Um, I think there is anger. The frustration is more the I think the, the key word, and then bordering along uh, along along anger because we've seen this coming for quite some time. You know, it's not something that just happened overnight. The, the South African batting lineup has been quite poor um, for the last while. We just get away with it here in South Africa because our body attack is so good and our wickets are rubbish. So it sort of narrows the gap. Uh, we saw that when India to a game when we won. Uh, we played magnificently well, but uh, we needed sort of uh, a few of our tail-enders and our bowlers to get us out of trouble. So it, it, it's, it's been a bit of a mess for South Africa for a, for a while, and this is, uh, unfortunately, now we're seeing the, the fruits of that labour. It's a bit of lack of character as well, Paul. I mean, the, there are technical issues which um, are embarrassing uh, in, the, in the top five. Not so much Dean Elgar. He's just going through a dreadful patch of form. But, you know, there are technical issues, but I wonder whether you think there might be character issues. I mean, there are a few moments in the last uh, 30 years that, that stick in my mind. And I, I remember the first test match of that tour in 2008 was at the Wacker. Australia batted first on a really flat wicket. You bowled something like 28 overs into the Fremantle doctor. Um, Australia were, were something like five for 320. And, and I just, I wish I remember you say, I mean, you were, you were completely windswept, burnt to a crisp, and um, and I said, gee, that was a that was a tough day. It didn't go according to plan. And you said, what? It was a fantastic day. We took five wickets on the flattest pitch in in the world, and it was that kind of determination and and you know that sort of putting putting your your body on the line. And I I don't know whether I'm seeing that now, and I don't know whether it's a result of T20 cricket or 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 as you say, a lack of quality in first class cricket in South Africa. Look, I think it's very difficult to compare those two teams. I mean, at that stage in, in that team cycle, we've been together for quite some time, um, and we probably had the best top six Africans ever produced. Um, so we were pretty fortunate in that year, in, in that area, and then we still had more than make Morkel and Dale Sang. So you know, we were we were I think very fortunate in that era to have some bloody cricketers. 
Um, unfortunately, at the moment, we, 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 you know, we've got some different overs, but our batting has taken a timing. I'm not sure it's a, I don't think it's a character thing. I think that these guys all are brutes. Um, I think it's an ability thing. Um, I honestly just don't think that the, the batsmen that have been chosen are good enough. Uh, and I'm not saying all of them. I think that, you know, the Dean is a pretty fine player. We've seen that. Um, I think Timber is a very fine player. Uh, you just can't seem to, you know, score hundreds. I think you should be batting three. To be honest with you, I don't think you should bait five. Um, he's probably got the best technique in the side at the moment, and he's the senior player. Um, he should be batting three and giving himself more opportunity to get hundreds. And um, for some reason, he's got a, a mental block when it comes to batting three. Um, and then picking the right guys. I mean, you know, we've got guys sitting in South Africa that are in a rich lane of form. I'm not saying they would have come and changed the series, but you've got a guy like Ryan Nicholson. He is a very good player. He scored a lot of runs in the UK. He scored a lot of runs down in South Africa for a few years. Uh, you know, the excuse is he's injured, but he can't uh, go over. But he keeps banging out hundreds of years in South Africa, uh, which doesn't make any sense. And then you take Tambor, who's also injured, um, over, and uh, you have to take the list of one but not the other. And then you take a player over, he has to come back anyway for the birth of his child. So it doesn't make too much sense. And that's the problem with South Africa. I think it's a the whole mess from the top down. So I think that's sort of coming home to roost now. I don't think the character issue, I honestly think it's an ability and technical issue. And Paul, do you think this, you know, the, the Red Bull cricket talked about the first class element of, of what, it's, what it's like in South Africa. The world's going white ball cricket, the world's going T20 cricket. And if you watch England play test match cricket, they might as well play with a white ball because they're going down the white ball route as well. Do you think this, this you, you mentioned about the quality do you think this 2020 league in South Africa, no matter what format of the cricket they're playing, if you've got the best players playing with some good players and on good services in higher pressure situation, you think that could, you know, that the test team could reap the rewards because of ability will go just that little bit higher. And hopefully if they've got the ability, they'll be good enough to think about the game in the, at the, at the Red Bull format. Well, I think that's a very good point. I think that uh, we've seen a lot of it in uh, well, through the IPL Indian cricket. We've seen their cricket really, uh, you know, the level of their cricket increase over the last 10 years because of the IPL. Having said that, they do play a lot of first-class cricket as well. So, um, yes and no. I think that it, it, can, it can only help, it can't hurt. Um, but the fact that we're only playing seven first-class games this season, it's just not enough. Uh, you know, you've got to get guys in. They've got to have long periods of time. I mean, I watched, it pains me to say it, but um, I, I actually turned the TV on and look forward to watching the English the cricket at the moment um, because of the cricket <laughs> that they are, they are playing. And it's actually fun to watch. But I mean, even as you watch a guy like Harry Brook, I mean, the other day, he, he got 100, I think he got 100, 160 balls. He actually soaked up a bit of pressure. He wasn't just going out there and slogging and, you know, hitting it from ball one. He seems to have the ability that when he needs to absorb pressure, he can absorb pressure. Um, and I don't think that, and it takes skill. I mean, it takes serious skill to be able to do that. Um, going to be great to see them play the Ashes, by the way. I can't wait for that uh, that series. Then I might get up at 1am 1, 1 in the morning to watch it, to watch cricket again. Um, but I think it is a hot stress of enough. I'm convinced that it is a fact that South Africa have put on a lot of effort or no effort to first cricket for so long. I'll, I'll first of all set it. Uh, you know, we've gone now back to a million cricket teams in our, in our setup. When we had six, it worked very well. Um, it wasn't broken. Uh, yes, there were financial issues, but now we've got, I think, 13 or 14 teams. So I don't understand how it could help the financial situation when you have more teams uh, rather than less teams. So it's weakened the cricket. Our international players don't play any versus cricket anymore. Uh, you know, even when they're playing poorly and they've got three weeks off, they seem to come home and rest. They need a mental break. We had to get it. 
um, when they can't score a run. And so I think a more hardline approach, and yes, you need to see our director of cricket, maybe he needs to come out of the, out of hiding there in there. Where is he? He's, he's based in Holland. Um, come out of Amsterdam and actually come in and get his hands dirty and, uh, and get our cricket and get the structures right. Do you think that's the, the issue, Paul? Because you mentioned you've talked about England and playing in the Ashes. We, we went to Australia, we got our pants pulled down, our backside slapped, and then that's our world ending. We have a high-performance review. We're getting rid of the, the Duke ball. We're playing with the Kookaburra ball. We need to play less teams. We're playing on poor pitches. And all we did was we changed the director of cricket. We pointed a coach who said, go and have some fun, boys. And all of a sudden, we've won nine test matches out of ten. And that was just a change of mindset, completely change of mindset. Is the mindset at the top the problem of South African cricket that, that needs to change to filter down? And and, and it's, a, it's a structural change rather than a technical and an ability change. Look, I think it's a bit of both. Yes, leadership was the first thing, correct. Um, it's been, like I've mentioned, it's been kind of unique from the top down. Um, I think that it works, it won't, there won't be someone that has a silver bullet. I don't think it happened as quickly as it happened in the industry. Um, because I think that the English game is in a better position than the South African, the South African game. Um, I think you know, it was an easier switch because the players have the ability to make that switch. Um, you know, Ben McCutton can come in and tell guys to whack it from ball one, but you've got to have the ability to whack it from ball one. But have the technique to be able to keep the good ones out and whack the bad ones. So um, I don't think that that technique is there yet. So I think, yes, correct. You need someone to come in and shake the game up, shake the system up. Um, a really strong director of cricket. I don't think we have a strong director of cricket now. I really don't. I don't think Enoch you know, Kimper is the man for the job. Very good coach. Uh, but coaching and director of cricket are two totally different things. Yeah. Um, and also, you need to get your hands dirty. You can't be doing director of cricket from the bottom. Now, you need to be in South Africa, you need to understand the system, be it uh, all these games, you need to you know, put the structures in place. And uh, look, I think Mani Bombre is, uh, is actually a very good coach. He's coaching now, the interim coach. Um, he's done the hard yards in South Africa. Um, he understands our game. You think that the South African coach used to be South African. We have, uh, we have different, uh, it's a different place to coach. I don't think international coaches will uh, quite ever grasp uh, the South African hardware decades. Um, both from the way we play the game and to the sort of cultural and uh, political landscape that we have in South Africa, it needs to be a local. Um, I think he could be the guy for the job, but he's going to need to have a very strong DOC um, above him. And just finally, Paul, I'm just going to play um, a couple of very short clips, one of uh, Temba Bavuma and one of Dean Elgar, and uh, just, just like your, your comments on, on their feelings at the moment. I think to be brutally honest, as a betting group, just haven't been good enough. I think that was the case in England as well, where the betting group, we were we were showing up. I wasn't there in England, but watching from the sides. We've come here to Australia as well, and, you know, they've asked the questions and we haven't had answers to them. I think in my little experience of playing international cricket, playing in Australia, playing in England, um, and probably playing in India, those are the toughest places to, to, to tour. And we went, we went to England, that was tough. We'll come here to Australia, that's been tough. Um, so I think there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of questions and answers, but we simply haven't been good enough. Hopefully that spiral can come to an end come next season, where first-class cricket will be will be looked after better. I know that is in the in the plans that we do potentially have more first-class cricket back home. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I kind of bite my tongue here a little bit, but um, well, if I tell you, then it's pretty pointless me biting my tongue, right? Um. <laughs> I like where you're going with that, but you're not that stupid. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's 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 also scheduling going forward for the next five years. We we I've been going on about it that we need to be playing more Test cricket, and our players at the moment need to be exposed to this level. Even though you take in the hidings that we've like we have we have had in this uh, in the first two Tests and the England series that we had, our players need to be exposed to that. And unfortunately, we are learning much probably in the most ruthless and brutal way. And I think there are more learnings out of this than going out and playing against a, a team that's of similar strength and we beat them. Um, so there are a few there are a few defining factors that I can still take forward. But yeah, I would, I would still love for our guys to be exposed to to more of, of this and obviously so that those guys can be fast-tracked in, uh, in, in the international arena. Um, but yeah, it is a tough one. Again, I'm not a... Admin guy, I'm a cricket player. Um, I can only ask for what I feel is right for the for cricket going forward in South Africa, and then the rest is up to those guys to make those decisions. Look, I think on the timber issue, first of all, um, you know, the last two years probably has been our best day. So, by quite some distance, I'm averaging over 40. Having said that, staring at some you know, some pretty poor results. Like I said before, I believe you should be batting three. Um, I don't think you can hardly five anymore. Uh, needs to come in at three years to give himself the best opportunity to score hundreds uh, and lead from the front. As far as as as, uh, as Dean goes, I mean Dean is he's uh, probably one of the hardest sides I've ever played cricket with. Um, this will be killing him. Um, I think that uh, it was a bit of an odd statement that uh, you know that it's, it's a it's a they don't know enough to caps in the team and not playing enough cricket. Sure, that might be the case, but at the end of the day, he's played over seventy games, standard played over fifty games. It's not an excuse for it. I don't think he's entered as an excuse. Um, I think he's frustrated. I don't think he has the answers uh, to why they... Uh, I don't think he can come out and say it because my top six are rubbish. Um, he's, he's, he's got to play the political you know, political game as well, which he's not actually very good at. Uh, Dean sort of normally you know, comes out, tells the ball-faced truths where they doesn't really care who, uh, whose feelings he, he hurts. Uh, I still think he's the right guy for the job. Um, I feel sorry for him in a way because um, I think he's a really good player. Uh, and a lot of the burden, I mean, if he doesn't score runs and Tamar doesn't score runs, we're pretty skewed. So you know, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Um, I still think he's the right guy to take the team forward. We need some, we need a hard guy, we need a guy that doesn't take any nonsense. But cheap is he needs some, uh, he needs some batters. Otherwise, he's going to keep getting this, uh, he's going to keep getting his results. Paul Harris has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. I'm interested to hear that you've swapped uh, the surf uh, and your surfboard for the bush. But um, one is as good as the other, I'm sure. I like my golf clubs. It's, uh, um, I played quite a bit of golf on this already, which has been wonderful. Um, <laughs> and it's been good to have a break because now I've got to go back to work. Former South African left-arm spinner Paul Harris. So next up for South Africa is a three-match ODI series at home to England in just over three weeks' time. And you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of that series right here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll look ahead to England's tour of Bangladesh in March as Bangladesh's head coach quits uh, just a couple of weeks out from the three ODIs and three T20s. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, as promised at the top of the show as well, we're also joined by uh, 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 Mohamed Issam from ESPN Crick Info, who's uh, going to tell us what exactly is going on in Bangladesh cricket. Um, although uh, that may be unfair because um, uh, it's difficult sometimes to know what is actually going on, not just in Bangladesh cricket, but in the internal administrative workings of, of many countries. But um I have to say, Mohamed Issam, Russell Domingo quitting as head coach just a couple of days after the second test against India. Um, it was a relationship that I think had many highs, but also it, it wasn't blessed with um, with plain sailing and love throughout the three and a half years that he was head coach, was it? Absolutely right, uh, Neil. Uh, it was a very strange sort of relationship coming in from the Bangladesh cricket board. Um, essentially, uh, the issue was how... Uh, they perceived uh, they perceive a head coach how they see what a head coach should do, and and their template is is that a, a head coach has to be uh, a dominating uh, an aggressive individual who has the control of the of the dressing room. Um, Russell obviously was quite the opposite. He he wanted the players to think independently to be their own man. Um, I, I think that's where the difference uh, difference was made, and you know Russell had some amazing results. I mean. If you compare him to previous Bangladesh coaches, um, not many can put their hand up and say that they've won their matches abroad in New Zealand, in South Africa. You know, those were countries where Bangladesh, um, you know, they, they won in 2022 in New Zealand in a test match where they've never won a single match against New Zealand in, in that in that country. And South Africa also, I mean, they won the uh, one-day series 2-1, which was a miracle. Uh, but the confidence that they that took to, to the South Africa last March was very different from other Bangladesh teams that have been to South Africa in the last 20 years. Same uh, went on in New Zealand and then against India. 
obviously two miraculous wins, but it's it's that sort of a team these days who believe. And Russell uh, is one of those architects who it is a work in progress. Like uh, previous coaches and captains had instilled the confidence of winning at home. Uh, I think you remember that they won a lot of matches under Hathura Singh, under Dev Watmore, under Jamie Siddons. But under uh, Russell Domingo, their one-day record is tremendous, 70% win record. And then you have all these test wins as well. So it's a very interesting uh, sort of a move just after, two days after the, the they, they went down by three wickets against India. But just to, just to add, um, the BCB had created a lot of pressure on him going to the media and saying that they don't want a coach who isn't dominating the dressing room, who isn't play, holding the players accountable. I don't know what that means, uh, mm. but uh, that's what they said and that's what happened. Sounds like they want a headmaster and not a, or a school teacher and a cricket coach. Um, but we, England are coming in in March, um, three one days, three 2020s. Will Bangladesh look to split? You mentioned how good the, the white ball team is playing at the minute, or while playing under Russell Domingo, do you think they'll go a wide ball coach to get through that England series and then potentially split the coaching? Or will they go for somebody that does the whole shooting match and he is the man in charge of the whole Bangladesh cricket team? Right. Uh, they have a split. Uh, so they already split the coaching between the Test and ODI with Russell Domingo and the, and the T20 was with Sridharan Sridharan, the former Australia uh, assistant coach. Mm-hmm. He also works in the in the IPL, so he impressed the cricket board a little bit. He had some decent results in the T20 World Cup. So apparently he's coming back. He's going to take over the T20 side, and uh, not a huge news in Bangladesh. But Chandika uh, Hathras Singh is coming back as the Bangladesh head coach. That's the news. That's what the BCB have leaked uh, slightly that uh, they're bringing back their favorite Chandika Hathras Singh to the position of Test and ODI coach. So I think. When England uh, are around, before, well before England are around, they'll have Chanting Athro Singh as their head coach. Everybody in the cricket playing world and cricket following world knows how highly regarded and well respected you are, uh, Mohammed Issam. So I don't want to put you in a difficult position. But it does seem that every step Bangladesh cricket takes forward, or every two steps they take forward, they seem to take one back of their own volition. Um, you know, it's uh, there seem to be a lot of backseat drivers. Um, who who really shouldn't be having quite so much say in in what happens on the field? Um, and uh, again, this sort of divergent, a couple of superstar players, Shakib and well, you, you know, I won't name name them all. Um, but it, it just you know you you sort of feel like it's a bit like herding cats. You, you know, you want someone to get everybody heading in the same direction without people going off on a tangent. Neil, uh, what can I say? That that's been uh, has been the story of Bangladesh cricket for the last twenty years. I mean, the board president has to have a say, the director of cricket has to have a say, the, the team manager has to have a say, and the chief selector has to have a say. And by having a say, I mean they have to go on the media weekly, brief them of what he thinks. Uh, nowadays, it's the cricket board president as well as son who does all the briefing, who does come in front of the camera every week and uh, gives this sermon to the team through the media. I mean, a lot of the times the team doesn't even know what's happening until he comes to the media. That is that is what, you know, what you said essentially. So many backseat drivers, but actually they're not backseat drivers. They're, they are the drivers and they don't let the cricket people do their work. Um, <laughs> again, good things are happening. Uh, they're winning a lot more these days. There's a, there's a strong, um, you know, grassroots level here. They won the Under-19 World Cup just a couple of years ago. So things are working out, but people want to tell you that they are they are doing the job and there's like a 
25 uh, board directors, most of them want to get on the media and tell everyone that, yeah, I'm in, I'm in charge. Um, basically, um, it's only a few people in charge and they do all the job, they do all the work. But it's it's a lot of attention seeking, a lot of credit taking and a lot of grandstanding. Um, even imagine it's a small cricket board. Everyone wants to stand out and get their you know name ahead. But as you, as you mentioned, Shakib Hassan, Tamim Iqbal, these are the guys, these are the architects. The coaches, they are the architects, the foreign coaches. You have Alan Donald now as the bowling coach in the last nine months. The questions he's asked, he's asked the bowling group is phenomenal. The questions that he's put in front of the likes of Taskin Ahmed and the rest um, are, are new to Bangladesh cricket. And and, and you're getting, we're seeing a lot of results. They're winning the matches now. Yeah, you mentioned the winning the matches. And just to finish on Russell Domingo, how will his tenure as Bangladesh coach be remembered? Because there have been some very, very high points. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah it's been really good. Um, last year, they beat Australia and New Zealand at home uh, in T20 series. So that's considered uh, you know massive for in Bangladesh. This year, uh, beating you know the World Test champions, New Zealand in their backyard uh, with reverse swing and, and very patient batting in Mount Manganui, and then you have the South Africa series, which again I must stress is a huge deal in Bangladesh because Bangladesh doesn't win in broad. They hardly ever put anything across South Africa. They won against South Africa in Bangladesh once in the World Cup as well, but this is highly unlikely. And I think Domingo will be remembered for. All these away wins, wins, and making them believe that they can have a fast bowling attack that can win the abroad. They can have a batting lineup that can look beyond Tamim and Shakib. We have a guy called Lito Andash, second highest uh, run scorer this year behind Babar Azam. So these are high points. These are massive things that people remember him. And I think they will also remember Domingo for letting them think for themselves, which is very rare in Bangladesh period. And final one from me, Mohammed Islam. What what can England expect? Um in the, the white ball games in March. Are we going to have fizzing turners and uh, with Bangladesh doing everything they can to, to add another big name scalp? Yeah, absolutely. The first two ODIs are in Mirpur. It's it's their fort. It's when the wicket is slow turning, as you've seen Neil a number of times. England have won here. Uh, England will, will be favourites, but I think Bangladesh, uh, given their record of losing just one ODI series at home in the last nine years, uh, will go in as uh, we'll go in toe-to-toe. And I think England can expect uh, low turners, um, massively uh, undervaluing fast bowling and batting. Batting will be will be challenging for teams that will bat second in, in March because there, will be, there won't be that much deal with it's entering the spring. And then a bit of relief in Chitraga where recently India scored 410 and Ishan Kishan scored the fastest double 100 in, in one-day history. So... England would like to take it to Chittagong, make sure that it's 1-1 going into Chittagong. Otherwise, it'll be slightly difficult in Mirpur. Mohamed Sam, thank you so much indeed for your time. Do uh, continue doing the magnificent job that you do because uh, you do you do shine a light on the confusion for the rest of us uh, around the world. And, and it's, it's much appreciated. Everybody loves to see Bangladesh do well. And uh, yeah, the, the day that they start helping themselves in all the departments, they'll be, finally become the force they deserve to be. Thank you. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. It's that part of the show, part four, where we discuss any other stories that come to mind from anywhere in the world. And let's start then with um, the catch that I referred to a little earlier. Michael Neese's catch for the Brisbane Heat against the Sydney Sixers. Uh, a legal dismissal, or should it have been given as a six? Any of you who haven't seen it, I suggest that uh, you get onto YouTube 
um, because uh, Harmi and I probably won't be able to do it justice. It's quite a hard one to explain, but rather than leaping and knocking a ball back from out of play into play and taking the catch, Michael Nisa has knocked it three metres beyond the boundary, run after the ball, jumped in the air, thrown it in the air with his feet off the ground, and uh, a sort of kangaroo hopped his way back into the field of play, having knocked it up twice rather than the standard once. That's the best I can do, Harmy. You've seen it. It'd be interesting. I tell you what, Glenn Maxwell put it into context. He was commentating at the time because he's injured still. And he said, you can knock it up in the air 300 times if you want to, as long as your feet aren't on the ground. He was trying to justify how brilliant it was, but I think he inadvertently made it everybody realised how ridiculous it was. Yeah, I think, well, I think the one thing I will say about it is unbelievable skill. To, uh, the ability to get in a position to take the ball in the air and to then let go of it, bounce down, knock it back in the air and then get in a position to get back onto the field. That's It was it was ridiculous skill that these guys practice and practice and practice. The laws of the game, yeah, fine. <clears throat> it's there. It's got to catch the ball within the in the brown view and how you get it to there is thing. But it just it just doesn't look or doesn't sit right with me. Even though I'm a bowler and I would have loved the the wicket if it had been one of mine that had been belted out the ground, and I managed to get a get a catch which would have gone at least three or four rows back if anywhere else on the ground. If that had gone straight, he can't do it because the boundary holdings would be in the way. So it just didn't look right. It didn't sit right with me. I don't think that's it's right. I think the law has to has to change a little bit. I don't mind you going you know one step over the top, knocking it back into play. But the way he did it, he called it, had two feet on the ground and then bounced back up and then bounced it back into play. It just didn't look right, it didn't sit right, and I don't think that should be in the in the spirit of the game. But when you talk about spirit of the game, what is the spirit of the game anymore? Yeah, that that went out the window with the arc a few years ago. So for me, how, are we, are we going to get to the point where people are going to be jumping on, on, the, on the side of advertising boardings and... Like baseball, they can, they can jump themselves in the air off the advertising boards, catch it, and as long as they the land back into the field of play, because the momentum's going that way, that's classed as a catch. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. Amongst many things that made me feel uncomfortable was the idea that it might uh, be employed in club cricket, you know. And so when he's knocked it up in the air for the second time, while he was himself in the air, his feet were only a couple of inches off the ground. And so if this is the kind of thing that, you know, that club cricketers are going to be trying, can you imagine the disputes and the arguments? Yeah. Like in a bit, I mean, you need you need the 24 cameras to, to be able to ascertain that he was in the air. Anyway, TalkSport continuing its rich tradition of uh, supplying administrators to uh, the game of cricket. Yeah, Hirani in the frame to become Warwick's new director of cricket. Yeah, that's a bit left field, to be honest. I was with Ronnie, and I was I was I was with Ronnie in Portugal on in October, and he was saying he was wanting to get back in. Obviously, what happened at Essex, I love Ronnie. I, I he's brilliant. I must admit, I love playing against Ronnie because I hated Ronnie when he played. When we played, when he played for Essex, I hated him. I really did. I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Ronnie Ronnie was was disliked by quite a few fast bowlers. He used to rub them up the wrong way, and a lot of us fast bowlers used to target. You know, the Essex badge on his head rather than the Essex badge on his trousers or on his, you know, close to his pads. We we were we all pretty aggressive with Ron when we played against him. 
But then I played with him for England, great fella. And then since retirement, I've played a lot of golf with Ron and been away a few times with him. And he's a smashing, smashing guy who's got so much enthusiasm for the game. He loves the game of cricket. He's got loads of enthusiasm for, for cricket itself. He's gone away and the business that he's he's gone into after he left Talk Sport after the breakfast show, he put a lot of this is why I love Ronnie, because he put a lot of his own financial backing in that. He took a huge punt in trying to be successful. And the one thing he did was he worked tirelessly and hard to be that success. Yeah, he, he rubs people up the wrong way sometimes with his honesty. Got no problem with that whatsoever. The one thing I will say, if, if you are at Warwickshire, Ronnie O'Reilly coming in, will he will work hard for you. He will work as hard as he asks you to work because that's what Ronnie, that's what's made Ronnie the cricketer he was, the businessman he is. Um, and I, I hope he gets the job. I really do because he'd be a good director of cricket. I, I think because he's, he cares. I know he's honest, and he, but he has got a, a good heart as well. So, you know, good luck if he does get that. Okay, um, moving on to Harry Brook being withdrawn from the inaugural SA20 uh, by the ECB to manage his, his workload. Uh, he was going to be playing for the Joburg Super Kings, uh, now not that, uh, which makes perfect sense. But then not long after, the BCCI said that they would also be managing their top players in the IPL. Because yeah. India have got a bit, well, uh, they've got a bit uh, international. I just thought, good luck with that. Yeah, then the IPL said no franchises will be told what to do, when to play their players, when not to play their players, how many overs their bowlers can bowl, or what else you you want. So there there could be this could be the first sign because we've been, we're waiting for it, aren't we, Manners? We are waiting for the international cricket against franchise cricket heading head on into a collision. And is there a bigger collision than the BCCI against the IPL? I don't think so. I know that more or less the same entity, but the, the correct thing for me was Harry Brook. I think when Harry Brook signed for the Joburg Super Kings, I don't think anybody would have thought the, the magnitude of what Harry Brook would have would have done in Pakistan. And I think because of that, I think that's took an adverse effect on his contract with South African, the South African 20 League. So... It's the best thing for England because there's a lot of cricket coming up. We talked about it right at the top of the show. And I think all that cricket we've talked about at the top of the show matters. Harry Brook's going to be integral to England's success. So I think at this minute in time, for the next nine months or the next 18 months, other than probably the IPL, Harry Brook will be solely playing for England. And that, for me, is a positive. And, and uh, here we are once again with two minutes left and three items that I want to... And I talk to you about um, who would have thought that the big bash would wind it back. They've effectively said, "Okay, we created the perfect product. It was absolutely perfect. International players from all over the world wanted to come and play. It was working superbly. We were getting crowds of thirty thousand for every game, and we doubled it. We were greedy. It's not working, and so we're scaling back." And you and I said, oh, "Well, I probably said to you." They'd never do that. They'll never do that. Administrators never admit that they got it wrong. But I tell you what, kudos. Well mm -hmm. done, Big Bash. You know, because they're in a situation here where a dozen or so of their best international players are leaving <laughs> this year to go and play in other leagues because, A, it's too long and they're getting paid more there. Absolutely, 100%. And it all comes down to money. And when you look at it, man, it's like 
people were saying at the box of the test match, there was like 14,000 for one of the deaths. You know, 40,000 crowd in England is a decent crowd. 40,000 in the MCG is just, it's like having a, I mean, it's like having 1,000 in St. James's Park and get echoes and the atmosphere is not very good. It just, like the, the stadiums are huge in Australia. And I think that's some of the problem, the detriment to some of the problem. I think first class cricket in England, if we put, if we should be putting it the, the smaller, the smaller grounds, some of the out grounds, if we can get the pitches right, these hybrid pitches. Because you feel a, a festival atmosphere, it's a better atmosphere because hardly anybody comes. Leave the big grounds for like the, the, the white ball games, because our grounds look and get twenty five thousand is probably our biggest crowd. You try and fill a big bash for sixty games in sixty thousand seat stadiums, it ain't gonna work. And the more and more it diminishes, the more and more empty seats you see, the more and more people think, well, that's not very good. I'm not going there. The reason why the hundred's been quite a success. Because there's been people coming through the gates and people have been 20,000 at Lords means that other people want to go, well, if there's 20,000 at Lords, I'm going to go where, unfortunately, I think the size of the stadiums in Australia does have an adverse effect on um, on the big bash. And, you know, good on them for, for coming back to 40-odd games, but might have to scale it back a little bit more to get the Aussie public back on side. Okay, um, the MCG have ex- expressed an interest in hosting an India-Pakistan test match and not just them. We'll leave that one for another time uh, later on. Congratulations to your great mate, Mark Wood, uh, who's uh, expecting him and his wife are expecting their second child this year. And um, uh, hey, a final word and a short one, but a heartfelt one from you, Harmy, to Rishabh Pant. Yeah, you see the pictures of it. And yes, congratulations to Mark and Sarah um, for later on this year. But uh, you're just so pleased that Rishabh Pant is okay. You really do. And yeah, we talked about Freddie a couple of weeks ago. The year we've had in cricket, when you get news and you see pictures and like that, you fear the worst. And Steve's come out of, of ICU is is brilliant. And it's brilliant news for cricket, for him, you know, for Indian cricket. Um, because this boy is a superstar. He is a somebody that yeah, empties bars. He really does. The minute the minute he walks out to bat, something's gonna happen. And yeah, fingers crossed that he's on the road to recovery, the speedy recovery, and when he gets there, I'm sure there'll be a hell of a lot of people desperate to see him back playing as quickly as he possibly can. And uh, I echo that, as we all do, I'm sure. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at uh, the same time next week to look back on another busy week and build up to the start of the SA20. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe, 
for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 